This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellersley.com to learn more. It's interesting to try and describe what we as believers are going through right now. And I've spent a lot of time praying about that exact thing. Leslie and I have spent a lot of time sort of wrestling through what we sense is coming against us, which is different than maybe what we are used to. Uh, There's a lot of different battlefronts that we have fought in, and we are familiar with those. And leave it to the enemy to come up with a new one uh, that sort of catches you sideways, and you're like, what is this? Uh, And I I don't have the normal weapons in place to shoo it away because I've never experienced it before. And I think in the prayer time right before this, I described it as a gelatinous zone where we as Christians walk in the light as he is in the light. We see clearly. One of the benefits of light is you can see. And so your vision is, is present tense. You, you see the reason you're here. You see why you, you can smile, why you can rejoice, why you can be confident because he is victorious at that cross and he is seated on high and all things are beneath his feet. And it's clear, but why is it that as we are going through a a stretch of time where the realities of God's power are being questioned, his supremacy and his sovereignty is being questioned, why would it be questioned is a (laughs) a good question for me to ask all of us, but there's an uncertainty in the air because many of us in this country are used to a certain level of stability. Even though we see a downward trajectory, we're still used to that downward trajectory sort of slowly moving. When in the past weeks, months, and I'd say years, there has been an increase in disintegration where it is becoming exponential And for many of us, it has brought an insecurity, a low-level anxiety, all the way to a high-level fear. Uh, And it has also clouded the ability for us to reason and think through where we're at now and where we're going. It's become difficult to project, okay, well, I'm going to be here uh, next week, and then I'm going to fly to such and such, and then I'm planning on visiting so-and-so. Now, suddenly, the words God willing make total sense to us. God willing, I will be here. God willing, I will do that. And we've never, as North Americans, because we have a lot of Canadians in here as well, had that mentality. Even though we always say God willing because that's the right thing to say, it makes sense now. We have an uncertainty in our future, and as a result, it makes it interesting. It's a new gymnastic routine for us as the church to be able to function as the ancient church has always had to function which is we need to be bold as lions to live our life for Jesus, but we're not used to being bold as lions in the midst of uncertainty. So that's what this message is about. It's in a series on the revival of a nation. And I don't know if you guys recognize the quote, but it's sort of a classic American quote that comes from, uh, I mean, probably many of us, our favorite uh, movie during the Christmas season, even though the theology in this movie is a little sketchy. Uh, <laughs> The, the movie itself is so moving. It's, it's hard to describe the impact of the movie It's a Wonderful Life unless you see it. And you just watch it and you're like, why is that so powerful? And why is it that I cry every time predictably at the same exact spot? Why is it that I so deeply resonate with this? And it's, it's like the human story in a strange way that, that and I, I always look at it as a man, that, that desire, that craving for significance. I want my life to matter, but the devil just is going overboard to tell you that your life doesn't matter. It's not making any difference. You might as well throw it away. And so this incredible, uh, this incredible moment, which actually changed uh, Jimmy Stewart's life as well, this is the changing point for two men, the man in the story and the man who's acting in the story. It's a very real prayer uh, in history. This is the moment that his life is actually going to be transformed. And he's going to pray this, God, I want to live again. And so I don't know if that enunciates something for all of us. Uh, The idea of revival is that, 
God, I want to live again. And we have tasted something in our lives as Christians. This is a very unique band of believers in this room who have tasted the sweet presence of God. We have tasted the marvel of a personal acquaintance with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we have tasted and seen things that most people on this earth don't even believe exist, and yet we have walked in them. And so it's interesting when you take a group like this and you bring us to a place where why are we praying this prayer? But we are craving something. We're craving, and this is why it's tricky, we're wanting our life back, but we need to make sure we pray the correct prayer. In other words, many of us, are, if we were to articulate it and be just blunt on us, we want all that happened in the last year to just go away. And we just want to get back to the way it was. However, that's not actually God's intent in this, is to get us back to where we were. He wants to take all of the nonsense of the last year and leverage it to bring us to someplace better. And yet many of us think, well, how can it be better if I still have to wear a mask? Okay, and if we were to compare notes on masks in here, I have a hunch we'd probably have a high degree of agreement. These things stink. Uh, and I mean, literally, they can begin to stink too. <laughs> but it is a difficult exercise for our soul to actually want to live, but to live right now in these circumstances. God, I want to live again. I don't want to wait for when this ends. I want to live now. And that's revival. You see, revival doesn't wait for the government to line up and everything to be set, and then it's like, okay, now I'm going to have a revival of my soul. We are craving life is what we're craving. You see, there's a damper that has been put upon us as the church. Many churches still have not gathered. I mean, that is like a weird thought. And so it's like this total complacency, this apathy that has entered into the church where we're waiting for government to give us the cue. Okay, now you can be Christians. It's like, well, that's not where we get our cue from. So this revival of a nation has to remember where it gets its cue from. It's God. God, I want to live again. Not government. Give me the privilege of living again. You see the distinction? So some of us are struggling because we want, we're, if you're like me, I'm a visionary. I, have, I love to forecast and aim and direct my life towards something big. Well, it's hard to do that when you have no clue what is ahead of you. So it's like, we, we're going to do this this year. Well, I, I don't know. It depends on what happens in the next week of if I do this this year. I mean, that's a weird thing, and we're not used to that. And so I want to sort of unpack this and expose some certain tendencies in us as the church for what the devil is trying to play us with now. And I just want to hit back with a good old solid remembrance message. The bait towards earthy thinking. So there's heavenly thinking and there's, I could call it earthly, but earthy. It's earthy in its nature. It thinks and, it's re and it reasons primarily from down here and the effects of down here and the life down here. And it doesn't think from the eternal perspective. Okay, that's dangerous, especially for us as Christians who are called to first and foremost think heavenly. Yes, we live in an earthy zone, but we need to first reason heavenly and then take that heavenly thinking down into this zone. So there's some dead giveaways that our minds are not on things above. And I'll go through this list and I just want you to allow uh, the Holy Spirit to sort of poke uh, to see, have, have you been giving some dead giveaways that earthiness is a little too prominent in your thinking? Because we're seeing the fragility of our current condition. For those of us that love America and love its heritage and love its purpose and its calling, it's a beacon light of hope for the nations to send forth missionaries to proclaim the glory of Jesus and we see it dying. We see it crumbling before our eyes. We see it actually inverting into the exact opposite intent where it actually quells the light of the gospel. It crushes the hope of the church and its function. Okay, that, that's a dying which if I was to liken it to something, it's like the dying of a spouse. In other words, if, if Leslie were to pass away, which is not a fun thought, it doesn't quell my faith. I still have faith in Jesus and I'm still gonna live robustly for Jesus down here, but what, did I, what happened to me? 
I lost something very, very precious, a companion to my calling. And in a strange way, I think we're dealing with this. We're not sure exactly how to deal with it. When we had a, a, a dog, precious dog named Gracie, pass away in the, in the fall, and when Gracie passed away, it was interesting because you're telling yourself as a man, you know, I'm a father, and I, I'm like, okay, it's a dog. And yet I'm you know, starting to fall to pieces. Every time I'd think about Gracie, I'd sort of tear up and choke up. It's like, what is wrong with me? And some of us have had the same thought about the failure of America and the falling to pieces of America. Why does this grieve us? Not because it's shaking our faith in who Jesus is and what his purposes in this earth are. We know he's faithful and true. We know he's going to come through. We know his grace is sufficient. But it's an ache and a pain because it's a companion to our calling. We were set in this nation, and that companion is beautiful to us. And we see its beauty. Even though those that are this cancel culture seem to not see its beauty, we do. And when they tear down that which has been our companion, it hurts us. It does. We need to know how to live in the midst of bereavement, in the midst of loss, robustly for Jesus Christ. But I just want you to know, I understand. I understand because it's a very real loss. It would be very awkward if your spouse dies and someone came up to you in the church and said, well, get on with your life now. Lift that chin high and just move. Come on, you're a Christian. In other words, there's also the acknowledgement that that person is going through something. And we're going through something, which is why we're not seeing clearly. We have a grief mixed with our faith and it's drawing us to an earthy level of thinking. When you're going through grief, you are extra sensitive to some bad behaviors too. And so things like outrage are a dead giveaway that we are earthy in the way we're handling this. Outrage is the bait before us. I, I don't know if you've seen a piece of news that's just sort of floated across your, uh, usually it's like an iPhone that it floats across. And uh, it has everything in it to make you mad. Can you, I just can't believe these people. And it baits you towards something known as outrage. Frustration, fear, the loss of vision. When you hear these things, suddenly you'll notice that your plans for the future, your dreams of sharing the gospel here, you have these thoughts, you have these ideas. Suddenly they don't make sense anymore. They don't fit and you feel fragile in your future. Okay, that, that's not how God's, God's not saying you're fragile in your future. You have no hope. Uh, you know, why, why are you dreaming? Why are you thinking of sharing me with the world? That's not God. You see, this is an effect of earthy thinking. Discouragement. That's a pretty good way of describing the whole thing, isn't it? So I'm going to give you the most common conservative quote of 2020. I don't know if any of you have ever had this quote float through your head or have heard this quote, but it's hard for me to believe you haven't, okay? This is the most common quote, and I just sort of want to give a source. If I could, I'd put underneath it, the devil. And that's important for us to note, okay? I'm not saying that I don't understand the quote. Oh, I do, okay, because I've, I've given the quote, okay? I, I'm guilty of having this quote come out of my mouth. If this happens, then it's over, okay? Now, I, you notice how I didn't define what this is. I'm letting this be defined by you because there's a lot of things that could fall into the this. But if this happens, if this actually takes place, it's over, okay? And we could ask some follow-up questions like, what's over? Why do you think that? You know, we, could, we could query that, but this is a common quote which has led to a certain sense of fragility, a certain anxiety that we've allowed into the church of Jesus Christ that really has no business of being there. So I'm going to propose a different quote. This is called my proposed viral quote for 2021. No matter what happens, we have a great future. You know, that's a fact in scripture. We have a great future. I mean, we really do. I mean, everyone should be jealous about the, the future of the believer. I mean, we have it good so no matter what happens down here, we have a great future. See, that's the exact opposite of the previous quote. Yet this one is true. So I want us to make sure we start to separate out the thinking of the earth from the thinking of heaven. 
Psalm 11, one through three. Now I'm gonna give the earthy voice. I covered this, I don't know if it was a, a month or two ago. It was in the midst of the clamor, the initial clamor of the same thing. And that is, this is a David meditation. Now in this meditation, David is going to have someone something. It could have been himself, you know, but it's like this voice, this earthy voice that is speaking to him, doom. And here's what it's gonna say. Flee as a bird to your mountain. Now I put in David just to give you sort of the context, okay? Flee as a bird to the mountain, David. And you can put your name in there. For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And as a result, we have a tendency to quote the same scripture. In fact, I've had that same passage go through my mind. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I mean, if you lost your civil liberty, what could you do? Well, you could ask all the Christians in persecuted nations around the world that never have tasted of civil liberty. What do you do? Well, I don't sit on my thumbs, oh, you Western Christian. I have a job to do commissioned by the Most High God. The early church lived in a time when they didn't have civil liberty to just go into any town and preach the gospel. They risked their life every time they did. That's historic Christianity. So this, you need to recognize, this is a bait voice. Yeah, if the foundations are destroyed, if this happens, it's over. It's over. What's David's response? David has a response to this statement. We'll call it the Davidic response, Psalm 11, 4 through, 11, 4 through 7. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord, Lord's throne is in heaven. Well, I could have just stopped it right there because that's enough. For us, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What do we immediately meditate upon? The highness of our king, the position of our king. I do not care who rules down here. I care who rules in heaven. And when that changes, tell me. But if that stays stable and strong, and if Jesus Christ is still enthroned on high, and if all things still remain under his feet, and if it's still true that all things that the enemy means for evil get turned to good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose... You know, I can't figure out why you're trying to bait me towards anxiety because I have it good. I have confidence. This confidence is called hope in Scripture. This confidence, this hope, is something that cannot be stripped from us. Oh, it, the devil will try and strip our hope from us. But if we keep God in the center of the storyline, you never waffle and you never waver. No matter how difficult it gets, you have that hope right in front of you. Oh, I didn't finish the scripture, did I? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the ones who love violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. You are in the apple of his eye. Just keep going. Keep the smile on. It doesn't matter what happens if the foundations are destroyed around you. The righteous still have something to do, and that is belief. We still stand firm, fully confident that our God rules all. And he was victorious and crushed the head of the serpent back at that cross. And then he rose from the dead on the third day. Our Redeemer lives. All things beneath his feet. Jeremiah 29, 11. I always hesitate to teach on like uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14 and Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm not exactly sure why. It's a, it's a pastor thing. You want to have novel thoughts. You know, you want to come in with something that no one's ever seen, a scripture that and people are like, whoa, that's in the Bible? Yes, it is. I found it. <laughs> so Jeremiah 29, 11 is just one of those things like, okay, are, you're actually teaching on that, Eric? I mean, everyone knows Jeremiah 29, 11. However, in a time like this, it's rather important that you remember Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is such an incredible picture, which is why so many people have been moved by it, because you need to understand this, the nature of God towards you, the nature of God towards his children. You see, it's revealed in and through scripture. So you can go to a earthly news source to try and figure out how to think right now. Or you could go to the heavenly news source, which is called the Word of God. 
and say, God, how do you want me to think right now? And it's actually going to give you two completely different thought processes. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Now, I know many of us know it as, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. How's the other way? Plans to prosper and not harm. To give you a future and a hope. Now, I want to break this down just briefly. It's not going to be a very in-depth study. It's a very uh, skim-milk version of it. But still, I think it'll be helpful. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you. This word that is translated as plans, for some of us, that's how I grew up hearing it. But thoughts is an interesting word that doesn't fully encapsulate what is going on here. Because this word, makashava, is a word for, like if it's going to be used in the evil sense, it's a scheme or a plot. That's a makashava. It's like, ooh, that sounds bad. But what does a scheme need? It needs intense focus and thought. And you need to like, stroke your chin as you do it, right? God has a righteous version of this, and it's typically understood as like an invention, a cunning invention. And God is actually going to think through your life, know exactly what you need. He knows exactly what we need as individuals and exactly what we need as a corporate body. So it's a cunning invention. I like this one, an author's plot. So, you know, Hudson and I, in, uh, we're driving to the wedding yesterday there and back and you know it's a, it's a doozy of a trip what is that around three and a half hours and so we were talking about some plots for different stories and here's what I can say it's not just a simple thing like you have a thought like oh it's bright outside okay that's a thought but this is more than just a thought this is a cultivated thought with intent with focus with purpose what is your end you want to bring this character from here in the story to here and he's going to have some trials and tribulations along the way but it's going to end with success right that's actually the great storyline of scripture and God is actually like that author and he has a makashava for us it's a purpose, aim, and direction, a collection of thoughts. It's not just one thought. It's not just one plan, like, hey, I'm going to pick you up here, and I'm going to take you down to the, uh, the, the sidewalk and, and drop you off. It's actually a thought with an end to it, a very specific end, which is what the rest of the Scripture is going to define. So listen to Psalm 40, verse 5. is going to talk about the same word from Akashava. Many, O Lord, Oh Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And your makashava, your thoughts toward us, cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You know that it brings you a great consolation and relief right now to know that God has a makashava for you? In and through this, he's not forgotten. He's not asleep. Last week we talked about the sleeping Savior. You know, your boat's filling up with water and it looks like it's a it appears that your Lord uh, is asleep. Uh, Mary and Martha, it appears that Jesus has left town and forgotten about his good friend Lazarus and the promise that he made that this sickness would not end in death. When he's dying on the cross, it appears that he forgot his majesty. He forgot his Messiah purpose, didn't he? It's like, come on, you can't die on us. You're supposed to rescue us. What appears to be loss, silence, it, deafness he can't hear the Syrophoenician woman begging for Jesus to heal his son heal her son you see there can be an apparent conclusion that you can come to when in actuality God's very much awake and his thoughts towards us are too great to be numbered all right so I don't know what happened to the top of the screen uh, which has the scripture which says plans for uh, peace and not harm but it's not there <laughs> it was there I'm not sure what happened to it so the word for shalom for peace now this is plans to prosper you and not harm in the translation that some of us grew up in right prosper is is an interesting word that we sometimes shy away from we don't want to be the prosperity gospel people so we don't even use the word but so I, what I did for all of you that are a little extra sensitive to that word even though it's perfectly fine the word is not the problem it's it's what the people have done with it right it means welfare, shalom means welfare, health, favor, rest, quiet, a pattern of profit. Now we typically are going to translate that as peace, shalom, peace, right? However, it's a pattern of profit, a pattern of success. This is what his makafshava is about for us. He has a pattern to see us succeed in what we have been designed for. 
So I want you to ponder that right now. In the midst of this time, which is rather unique for many of us, God has plans for us. He has an author's plot set out for us as a character. But not just as individuals, also as the church. And it's a plan to see us prosper in our way. In what he has assigned to us. I have an assignment and I feel it. It's a burden. But I feel like the enemy says, but if such and such happens, then you'll never be able to do it. You'll never be able to fulfill it. That is a bunch of bunk. God has plans for me and plans to see me succeed at my calling. What I have been assigned to do makes no difference if I'm in America or in communist China. If I'm assigned to do it, then God is going to equip me and make a way for me to fulfill it. So, in the final line is to give you a future and a hope. Now, this is translated various ways in different uh, translations because it's a hard thing to know how to enunciate because you have two nouns to give you mm and mm. And so I am calling this tikva, that's the Hebrew word. There's actually another Hebrew word in there called aharith, which is the backside of something. So, the fool doesn't see his aharith. So when he's moving forward and walking in his way of idiocy, he doesn't realize what follows it. He doesn't see the end of the matter. Okay, but we have been given a tikva end. We've been given a tikva aharith. We've been given something very specific. A tikva is technically translated as a quarter of rope. So could you imagine? God has these great plans for you and what he has for you is a rope. It's like, excuse me, what is that? But this rope is significant and symbolic in Scripture of something. And that is, well, it's also known as a cord, but a grounds for hope. You have grounds for hope. You have strong, a strong legal case to have hope. It is the realization of that which is, oh, the middle one is the most important, an unshakable expectation. The realization of that which is most longed for. Okay, what are you after? I want to see God win. You have a reasonable uh, argument for that, don't you? Legally in Scripture? I do. I want to see God win. Is that an unreasonable expectation or a very reasonable one? You see, this is what a tikva is. We have a hope, a desire to see God conquer, to see justice triumph, to see righteousness win the day. Oh, we crave it right now. There is nothing more offensive to my soul than lies unanswered with truth, than injustice undealt with, than fraud left uh, covered over. What? Someone needs to do something. That's, that's what we say. And what is our hope? God will do something. We have a tikva. In the end, the aharith, the end is a tikva. There is a grounds for hope that we have, and it's based on who God is and what God has promised. So I want to go into the story of the scarlet tikva. Now remember what a tikva is. It's a rope or a cord, so that's going to give something away. I shouldn't, that's like spoiler alert. But the scarlet tikva, same word that is going to be used. See, this is what God is cunningly devising for us. He is going to bring about a tikva for us. That our end is a very real tikva. So, the scarlet tikva, we're going to have to go back in time a little to the story of Joshua. And do you remember, Joshua is going to send uh, two spies uh, to Jericho. And why, why this prostitute named Rahab takes them in is quite an amazing thought, but there's reason behind it. You see, it says that all of Jericho's hearts had fainted. They have a very clear sense of judgment that is coming upon them. And now they're going to fight against it with all they have, right? But they have a very clear sense of judgment. They've heard the stories. They know that God is with this people. And yet most of them are in absolute defiance and unwilling to bend the knee to this God, Jehovah. Except for Rahab is. And so she is going to risk her life to actually hide these spies, and to give them what they need and the information they need, and to help them escape. So here we are in Joshua 2, 9, 11 through 12. And Rahab said to the men, the two spies of Joshua, 
I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. That's sort of what we want right now. It's like, God, could I have some encouragement in all of this? Have any, any of you had that just sort of ache? See, what we think is the true token is we're going to turn on Newsmax. See, now, now that Newsmax is actually a common thing that people know about. We're going to turn on Newsmax one day, and it's going to say, you won't believe it. Everything has turned good in this nation. And so we, we're fishing for hope, but we're fishing in the wrong spot. You see, God is the one. It's sort of like the messengers of Yeshua, Joshua. He has something that he wants to share with us. He has a message. Go there. Go to his word and say, God, I need a token. I need an encouragement. I need a strengthening point. Well, that's what scripture is. It's a tikva. It's a scarlet tikva, star, scarlet cord. That's exactly what this is going to turn out to be. So, tikva, Joshua 2.21, and she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. So this is the same cord, the rope, that they are going to escape from her window on, and they're going to say, put that scarlet cord in your window, and when we come, if it is there, it will be, in a sense, your salvation, and you will be spared from the judgment that the rest of the nation, uh, or the, the city and the nation of Jericho will experience. And so this becomes a symbol. It's a cord. And she is to stick it in her window. I thought that was an interesting statement. So this tikva is a cord or a rope. It is. But it's also her grounds for hope. It is an unshakable expectation. Does she trust the word of these messengers? If she does, she's going to invite every one of her family members, because anyone who is in this, in this room with her, with that scarlet cord, is saved. So what is she going to do? If she believes this, if she has this hope, then even though she's in a state of judgment, she's in a, a city that is basically about to come under the judgment of God, she is robustly turned into an evangelist. And she is bringing everyone that she knows, her family, her friends, into this room that is marked by a scarlet tikva, hope, the word of Yeshua, Joshua, same name as Jesus, by the way. For I, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now that's the King James Version, and I think it's interesting. It's fascinating for me. So it's not just a future and a hope. It's an expected end. So the expected is the tikva, end is the aharith. So this is how the King James is translated. It's hard. I mean, I, I've looked at these two words and was like, how would it... How would you translate? You have two nouns. What, what are you giving them? You're giving them an end? That's not how it should be translated, but it is. It's an end, but it's also a rope. I'm giving you a rope and an end. I'm giving you the end of a rope. You know, what are, you, what are they giving? And so tikva and aharith, an expected end. Do you have that right now? I know that we are entering into a very, very volatile, unsteady, uncertain week in American history. Of course, I could have said that for the last couple months every week. However, we all know that this particular week is of even higher importance because we see a fulfillment, a, a crowning of authority that is a transition in our country where we either deliberately have chosen to go against the truth or we choose to turn in a different direction. I mean, we're, we're watching it in front of us, and we all feel so helpless in this room. Just imagine how helpless Rahab would have felt. She's a prostitute. She's a woman. You combine those two, and she's not a very high-ranking person in the Jericho society, right? So what appeal does she have to the God of, of the Israelites? What appeal does she have even to the Jerichites? Protect me. If you guys have any muscle, use it on me to protect me. In other words, she is so vulnerable and she doesn't feel like she has much voice in this whole thing. And yet, 
She actually is going to be a critical player, and she's, I mean, she's in the lineage of Christ. Did you guys know that? I mean, this, this lady who's from Jericho, a prostitute from Jericho, that's not a great bragging point, right, is actually going to be selected by Christ in his lineage to re- help to reveal who he is ultimately to the world. So to give you an expected end, do you have an expected end right now? Because if I said, what's going to happen this week? I have no idea. And yet we do know that God is in control this week. And we do know that God is going to turn all that the enemy means for evil into good, even this week, in us. Like I said last week, the news is covering that which is sensational. It's not covering that which is godly. For instance, I woke up last Sunday, I think I said this last Sunday, and I was so cheered. It's like my soul was strengthened and I felt bold for the gospel. And I said, no one's covering that. There's no news service coming up to me saying, how how could that be possible, Eric? Could you explain it to us? It's supernatural. It's a miracle and it's taking place right here, but the news isn't covering it. You see, God wants to do something on this earth that the news could care less about. No one's going to watch the news if that's what they were covering anyways. Eric was happy this morning. I mean, who cares, right? Well, I do. It's a big deal to me, and it can be a big deal to you if you're the happy one as well. In the midst of this storm, you can rise above it. So here's the key question. Do you have an expected end? See, do you believe that God has thoughts for you? He has plans for you as an individual and for us as a body and for the church global that he is utilizing even circumstances that seem opposite of everything he is. What do you think the cross is? It's a situation so opposite of who he is. Everything about that is hate, murder, I mean, slander, assaults, uh, uh, mockery, revilement. Everything about that situation is wrong. And he is going to leverage it and plunge it into the gut of the enemy. He, is, he turns it all against the enemy. And yes, we get to carry a cross too. And we get to carry circumstances in our life that seem opposite of what God would ever do. God, why do I have this? Embrace it and you'll see. Embrace it and you will see. Don't let it stop your forward progression. So do you have an expected end? And if so, is it based on the doom and gloom of Jericho news or on the word of Joshua? Because right now, there, there are certain conservatives out there, I've heard them, that say, yeah, it's over. The American uh, idea, the American experiment is sunk. And I mean, have you ever had it where you're around someone right now and they have only bad things to say? And everything they say sort of strikes a low-level anxiety in you. And it's like, yeah, you really need to get your guns and you really need to hide out in your basement and you really need to, you know, if you can build a bomb shelter, this is the time to do it. And by the way, uh, the best place to get bulk beans and rice is such and such a place. Okay, now I'm speaking a language that some of us are very familiar with, okay? And it's a, it's almost like you could call it the conservative's response to crisis, I have spent my life around many people, some of the leading conspiracy theorists in the world, I know personally. Okay, so I'm very familiar with this, and I chose at a young age to not have my reasoning be off over this fact that the world is coming to an end, and you know, all these people, the Illuminati, are all coming together to crush you, Eric. Well, I believe that my God is conspiring to save me. So then you weigh who's bigger, the Illuminati or God Almighty. So I don't care what the Illuminati is doing. I care about what my God is doing. When you study Jericho news, you're studying about what's happening in Jericho, the fear, all the reasons why you should panic, all the reasons why you should buy bulk beans and rice because the Israelites are coming. There is a need in us to remember, think what Rahab is thinking in this situation. Do I believe the word of Joshua? That's the question. Are you believing Joshua's messengers or are you believing the, the news source in Jericho? I believe what Joshua has said to me. That if I put my confidence in him and his word, this scarlet cord is my rescue. Can you tell if someone has a scarlet tikva? You know, just, if you were to just walk around your life right now, and you're going to see certain people 
that are just behaving very differently than everyone else. Because you're almost like shocked when someone is not like under the weight and under the pressure of all this stuff. It doesn't take much to get me stirred up. So I have to be very watchful. Okay, someone comes up to me and says, did you hear, hear about this? And there's part of me that wants to jump straight in. I mean, I love a good debate. I love a good argument. I mean, I am so susceptible to it. And it's hard in those moments to remember. It's like, no, no, I have a scarlet tikva. As opposed to, can you believe how Jericho is functioning right now? I mean, we deserve judgment. I mean, we have totally turned our back on God. We should, what we should do is we should just allow the Israelites in. Instead, we're going to fight them? You've got to be kidding here. You know, we get all stirred up about Jericho and about this thing. Instead of recognizing that anyone in Jericho that wants salvation, there's a scarlet tikva hanging from Rahab's room. Go find your salvation right there. That's your focus. We have a scarlet tikva. So can you tell someone who has that? They behave differently. They think differently. They reason differently. So they may be in the midst of all sorts of Jericho nonsense. I'm, I'm starting to call what we're going through as Jericho nonsense. We used to be a godly nation. <laughs> I'm not calling it that anymore. Jericho nonsense. It's the type of stuff that does deserve judgment. I'm going to be plain spoken on that. It does. But they have a great big scarlet tikva in their window that is shaped just like, it's supposed to have a like in there, a gigantic smile. That's sort of my, my picture. She uses it sort of like a, a drape. And it's, it just sort of scoops down and it's a, it's, it's a smile. See, that's how we respond in the midst of the pending doom. We smile. Why? Well, didn't you hear the word of Joshua? Didn't you hear his promise? Don't you know that he is going to win this? I am not under the same punishment that the rest of Jericho is because I have put my hope in a greater authority. So, you know, I, I wrote this down and then this morning I was studying uh, something a little different. I was looking at the word chord from a different angle uh, and there's, there was a statement in Ecclesiastes, a chord of... Uh, three strands will not easily be broken. You know, that, that type of a, a statement. So I was like, huh, is that a tikva? And it turns out it's a different word. In this story with Joshua, they use both words for, it's like kaum and tikva for cord. So this, it's both, right? So as a result, I'm gonna have fun with this. This is a smile. And then look what I found in, in Song of Solomon. Your lips are like a scarlet cord and your mouth is lovely. I thought that was about perfect. Are our lips like the tikva? A big smile. That's exactly what it is. That's precisely what the living God does in us. You can showcase to the world that you have a scarlet tikva in your window because you have joy. You rejoice always. You pray without uh, stoppage. What was my word? With ceasing. I was like, what is that word? And you give thanks in all things including right now. Could you imagine giving thanks? I, I like twist all your arms. Give thanks. <laughs> Give thanks for what's going on in America right now. Give thanks. Not giving thanks for that. Do you remember uh, Corey and Betsy Tenboom? They get into uh, Barracks 28, and they're going through and giving thanks for everything. That's the exercise Betsy was leading them through. Let's give thanks, Corey. We have our Bible with us. Somehow we got it through. We have our vitamin bottle with us. God has put us together. I mean, we could be in the same barracks. That's amazing. And then, let's, and then they had fleas all over the place. Let's thank God for the fleas. And Betsy's like, or Corey's like, I cannot thank God for fleas. And so Betsy, you could just sort of see her going, thank God for fleas, Betsy. <laughs> so finally, Bet, you know, Corey you know, is won over. He's like, okay, I'm supposed to give thanks in all things. That includes, I guess, fleas. God, I thank you for the fleas. And you guys do know that those fleas kept the guards away. So every night they had a Bible study with that Bible because of those fleas. The guards hated those fleas so much that they would not go into barracks 28. Thank God for your fleas. Thank God for all that is taking place in your life. You have a scarlet tikva. Yes, you are in the midst of a dour and challenging situation. But hang it in your window, people. Drape it across in the shape of a smile. You have an expected end. Jesus is our scarlet tikva. Let's live again, people. Enough of this dour attitude. 
waiting for the good turn. Finally, when you get good news, then you'll smile again. Smile now. You don't need the earth to convince you that there is something good to rejoice in. You have heaven's word on the matter. He says, smile, rejoice right now. You have every reason to. So let's live again, people. Let's throw off all this Jericho heaviness and be reminded that the one who is promised cannot fail. Let's boldly stick our scarlet tikva in our window. So I'm going to go through just a few scriptures here, and then I'm going to finish with a poem. Psalm 31, 24, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who have a scarlet tikva in your window, all of you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 42, 5, 42, 11, and 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And David is going to give a command to his soul. Hope in God. Put up the scarlet tikva. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Hang the scarlet tikva. It goes this way, like a smile. Guys, don't try it like this. That's not how it works. It goes like this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. I love that statement, for I shall yet praise him. What does my future hold? Praise. Not being downcast. Why are you disquieted, O Eric Ludi's soul? Why are you stirred up over these things? Why are you mad? Behave as a believer in Jesus Christ above this. Hope in God, Eric. Do you have a scarlet tikva or not? I do. Well, then what is this? Why should Rahab fear the coming armies of Israel? as they surround and they march. Why should she fear? She has a scarlet cord in her window. So why should you fear if you actually have an expected end in your window? So I'm going to uh, read this. I, I read it to our alumni yesterday and I thought, you know what, this fits pretty good. This is about right. This is scarlet tikva stuff right here. So this is a poem. It's, it's out of my Manly Preaching Poems series where it wasn't supposed to be a series. I just wrote them down. I, I, I said to a group of students quite a few years ago, I said, yeah, you know, I, I preach to my own soul. You know, so you guys hear me get all up, you know, loud and, uh, in here, but I do the same to my own soul. When I sense my soul is disquieted within me, hope in God, Ludi. You know, I don't uh, always stick your name in it. I stick my name in it, right? I don't always call myself Ludi. So, you know, it might be Eric or I might just leave that point just sort of it's inferred since I'm the only one I'm talking to myself, right? But so someone asked me, what is it that you say to yourself? I was like, that's an interesting question. It, what do I say to myself? So I decided I started writing it and then it turned into poetry, right? I don't speak to myself with poetry. Uh, <laughs> but I wrote it down this way. So this is fun. I think you guys will enjoy it. It's called Go Up. Go up. Lift your soul in praise. Get those feet up off the ground. Go up. Leap for joy. Don't buy all this woe and all this ridiculous sadness. Hit it in the teeth with some good old-fashioned gladness. I don't care how bad it might seem. God has not moved from his position of victory. He won. He beat the devil. He crushed his serpent head. So don't spend even a moment all sad and depressed in bed. I'm not asking you how you feel right now amidst this fight. No, I'm asking you what is true, noble, honest, and right. You know that God has done it, so take this despair and shove it. Stick it in the devil's face. Cram this down his lying throat. Don't for even a moment give your enemy a reason to gloat. Prove the enemy's defeat by going airborne with your feet. Go up, leap for joy. Do that one thing the enemy hates more than any other thing. Smile when it's hard. Laugh when it's difficult. Open your throat and sing. Ignore those prison chains, the dank smell in the air. You were built for this moment. You really are prepared. Prepared to shout hallelujah and jump heavenward with a hearty war cry. Prepared to knock the devil backward with some genuine endrizomai. The Christian man rejoices when all hell stands set against him. He sings even louder when it seems the devil's got him fenced in. 
He knows his God cannot, will not fail to supply. He knows that with undoubted faithfulness, his God will, in fact, reply. So why should the godly man whimper? Why should he moan? Now is the time to demonstrate that God Almighty is on the throne. Go up, leap for joy. That's the only reasonable and worthwhile thing to do. Not only is it commanded, but it's also quite logical too. Is he not the maker of all, the possessor of everything? Is he not the Lord of lords, the king of all kings? And has he not promised to be faithful, promised to come through? And isn't it true that what he says he will do, he will really do? Then go up, leap for joy. The Christian man mustn't be caught with his feet stuck on the ground. He must be laughing, rejoicing, singing and praising when he is spied out and found. There should be no one more happy on this entire earthen globe than the fervent believer emblazoned with this thrilling, eternal hope. Father, we as the church of Jesus Christ acknowledge that we have spent way too much time hearing Jericho news instead of staring out the window longingly at our coming Savior, for he will come through for us, for we have stuck the scarlet tikva in our window. And Lord, may we stare that direction toward the hills from whence comes our help. Lord, you are faithful and you are true, and may we be the happiest people on earth, starting right now, today, for we have every reason to rejoice. We have an expected end. We declare that you are almighty. We declare that you are over all things. And we declare that you will turn all of this evil that we see perpetrated in our culture right now, you will turn it all for good for those of us that love you and are called according to your purpose. We trust you, O holy King Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.